Tonight we're going to talk about something fairly simple. We're going to talk about something, uh, a battle that's been going on since the very beginning of time. I want you to know in this world, there's two forces in this world. There's only two. There only, uh, there only ever was two. There only ever will be two. And that's the, the good and evil that's in the world. It's God versus the devil. And those are the two sides. And I'm going to tell you tonight, those two sides are diametrically opposed. They could not be any more opposite tonight. I want you to know that everything good in this world, everything good in this world comes from God. Everything. And everything bad, everything evil in this world, it comes from the devil. It comes from that evil side. And you and I, we have to look at things and decide whether they're truly good or evil. You know, to the, to the drunk, the bottle looks good. It, it gives him pleasure. It gives him joy. But yet we know that the heartache that that causes, the sin that it is, how it tears apart his family, we know that there's nothing good with that, Right? Same thing, we could talk about adultery tonight. And to the adulterer, that physical pleasure is a good thing to the adulterer, but it's not anything good. It's sin, it's wickedness uh, against God. It tears apart family, it tears apart homes. There's nothing good about that. And we see the two sides and how they're nothing alike. You think about an atom and you think about the protons and, and the electrons that are in that atom. Those two, they're totally different. One doesn't cross over to the other. They're totally different. And that is the the nature of the fight that we're in. And obviously you know what side you ought to be on. And we're going to talk about those things tonight because sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we fail. And I want to talk to you tonight about the battle that goes on of faith and fear. And in this last year, we've seen more than that ever. We've seen people that are afraid and, and people that didn't know what to do. And hey, at, at times, you know, we were unsure about some things. Our, our lives changed in a lot of ways and, and listen I'm not saying that that the COVID virus is not real I'm not saying we've all had somebody known somebody that we love that's passed away from this awful virus I'm not making light of the virus I'm just saying that there's been a lot of fear that's been injected into the world and it's changed a lot of things and it's affected people it's affected people coming back into the worship assembly because of fear now hey if you've got Conditions, I am, I'm not judging anybody. Don't get me wrong tonight, but I'm telling you what, there's this battle that's going on, and the devil, I can tell you, you know, anything bad, right, anything evil that exists come from the devil. You know, the devil, he, he brought this sin into the world. He calls man to fall. Uh, I'm going to blame it on him tonight. It's his fault, and because that, man left this state of perfection, and because of that, sickness and disease and death has entered into this world you know i'm going to blame all this on the devil it was all his fault but you and i we're not going to give into that we're not going to give ourselves over to fear we're not going to be a people that live in fear because we've been called out of fear and into faith i want you to know tonight talking about these two diametrically polar opposite things i want to talk about the nature of God tonight. I want to tell you, let's talk about what the Bible says about God's nature. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and he that loveth knoweth, uh, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. You can't separate the two. God is love. Those things that are lovely in this world, this feeling that we have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the love that a man has for a woman and a woman for a man in the bond of marriage, the love that we have for our children, it all came from God. And without God, that love would not exist. I love love. Love is lovely. It feels good. You can feel the love when you walk through the door back there and you can see brethren greet each other. That's love. You know where that came from? It came from God because God is love. I'm embarrassed for those people, those, those same-sex marriage people that say they're in love. Listen, what you're claiming love is something that come from my God, and, and that's not how it was meant to be used. 
My God is love. He's true love. We look at the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, do not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endure all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now watch this. Watch when we insert God in the place of charity or love. And I want you to see how this reads. And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not God, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not God, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not God, it profiteth me nothing. God suffereth long. God is kind. God envieth not. God bondeth not itself. God's not puffed up. Do not, uh, God does not behave itself unseemly. God seeks not his own. God is not easily provoked. Thinketh, God thinketh no evil. God rejoices not in iniquity, but God rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. God never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Do you see how easy that it is to place God in the place of love? And it means the exact same thing. God is love. It all comes from him. The Bible says that man was made in God's image. I am a reflection of the Father who made me. I was created in the image of love. I was made for love. You were made for love, brethren. If you don't love, there's something wrong in your life. What about the other side? What is Satan's nature? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall, not have eat, uh, you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That statement right there tells you almost everything you need to know about the devil. That he was subtle. And that he lives in subtlety. And that he disguises himself of who he really is. You know, if, if, I, if you were going to be warned... And the devil was a physical presence. And you know what Hollywood or whatever's made him out to look like. If you saw a fella walking down the sidewalk, you were walking the other way. And he was red and he had horns and he had a ponytail and a pitchfork. You'd go, ha, huh, that's a devil. I'm going to stay away from that thing, wouldn't you? But that's not what the devil does. That's not what he is. He doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. He's subtle. He sneaks in. He disguises himself. It's what he is. It's what he does. And you and I have to be careful that we judge those things and figure out what the devil is and when the devil's coming and what the trap that the devil has set. He goes on, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree uh, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Well, that's a lie. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, we see the lust, of the, ash, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I, hid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
Now, it's unspeakable what kind of relationship that God and man had up until this point in time, that, that, that perfect union that they had. It's what we're all striving for, is that perfect union yet again, where we'll see him in glory. And what was one of the things after sin came in, what was one of the first things that Adam said? Notice there, when he called out to him, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Sin brings fear. Sin brings that separation. He was no longer in the good stead and the good will of God anymore, was he? But he had sinned. And that sin, that wrong, brings forth fear. He goes on, and, when he, and he said, uh, God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Thou hast eaten of the tree. Uh, hast thou eaten of the tree which, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, I'll tell you what, not much of a man. <laughs> not much of a man. God asked Adam a question, and the first thing he, he points to is, God, this, this, this is the woman that you gave me, God. Really? You're going to blame Jehovah? He said, yeah, this is the one you gave me, and she made me do it. He goes on, uh, and she gave of me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, now he asked Adam a question. He asked the woman a question, and he and said, what is, that, what is this that thou hast done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. She points her finger at the devil. It was him. He made me do it. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, now notice, he asked Adam a question, he asked Eve a question, he did not ask the devil a question. He says here, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and this woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I'll tell you what, God's not into negotiating and asking questions of the devil. You know why? Because God knows exactly who the devil is. And he gave him that curse that day. He said, one day, he's going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. You know, y'all got snakes out here, I'm sure. They're probably bigger. Everything's bigger in Texas. But we got snakes in Tennessee, and we don't like those little snakes either. And so if you can imagine a snake crawling down here and I was going to kill that snake and I would stomp that thing with my heel hard as I could, I got a big old leg, I'm putting a lot of weight behind that thing, I'm probably going to bruise my heel. But ultimately, although I may bruise my heel, I'm going to kill that snake. I'm going to crush that head just flat as a pancake. Devil, this is going to be yours one day. Now, we all know the rest of the story. We know that Christ would die and the devil wanted Christ to die. And it it, 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 it suffered that Christ died. But when he arose and he conquered death, oh, it destroyed the devil. It took the one thing the devil thought he had going of killing man and taking him away. He tried to do that to the Son of God, and he wasn't successful. Oh, yeah, it bruised our Lord. But today he lives glorified on, on the right hand of God. It bruised him. But it killed the devil's plan. I'm going to tell you what, brethren. These are two diametrically opposed positions. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's watching. I'll tell you what. I'm not trying to give the devil any more credit tonight. But I'm going to tell you, the devil's been doing this for a long time. The devil's been trying to trap man for a long time. And if you do, if you practice that for a few thousand years, you know a lot of the tricks. Man's not really changed, has he? Man's still the same. He's still able to be tricked. And the devil knows that. And the devil sees you and I, and he knows maybe some of us, we have a problem, you know, with the bottle. Maybe he knows that's a temptation. Maybe it's uh, some kind of sexual immorality. Maybe that's the temptation. Whatever it is, the devil's got a lot of practice at what he does. And so if the devil's got a lot of practice, you and I ought to be ready for that adversary of the devil walking around trying to devour us. The devil, or the, the word devil, is, uh, is translated traducer. That's what the definition of the word means. That's not a word that we use a lot, traducer. 
I'm going to tell you what the word traducer means. It means one who attacks the reputation of another by slander or libel, backbiter, defamable, defamer, libeler, maligner, slanderer, vilifier, depreciator, detractor, disparager, one who disparages or belittles the worth of something. That's what the devil's all about. He's all about disparaging the word of God. He's all about saying, you know what? What God says, that's not really the way it is. That's not really all the truth. That's what he did in the garden. He's a depreciator. You know, last night we talked about value. And we know what happens when things depreciate. They become less valuable. Well, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to take these things. He's trying to take salvation. He's trying to take that eternal home, that eternal life. And he's saying, you know, it's, it's not that valuable. But I'll tell you what is valuable. All these things that you can have on this earth. And he tries to put the value in that. And this fight's been going on since the beginning of time. That what God says, the devil tries to back up and say, no, that's not really how it is. It's nothing new. John 8 and 44, you're, the father, you're of the father, your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. He was, uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. He's been a murderer from the very beginning. This is the nature of the devil. He's a murderer. He wants to kill. He wants to take away your life. He wants to take away your soul. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of himself because he's the father of lies. He's king lie. Now, what do we know diametrically opposed from that? We know that God is truth. And all truth comes from God. His word is truth. And it's not just kind of the truth. It's not truth just the most of the time. It's absolute truth. It's always true. It's always been true, and it's always, always will be true. And the devil is none of those things. He's the liar. In review, God is a creator, and the devil is a destroyer. God is good, Satan is evil. God is love, the devil is envy. God is truth, Satan is lies. God is righteousness, the devil is unrighteousness. God is salvation, Satan is damnation. God is light, Satan is darkness, and God is faith, and the devil is fear. Do you see, brethren, how opposite these two are? And so this battle that you and I fight within ourselves, we want faith to win, we're trying to keep fear away, is the battle we fight. In the Bible, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. You know how you beat the devil? Part of that is with faith. This shield of faith. When the devil tries to fire those darts, and he's, hey, he's had a lot of practice because he's fired a lot of darts, hasn't he? When he tries to fire those darts, when he tries to find the weak spot in the armor, you hold up the shield of faith, and it blocks those, arm, those arrows out. Faith fights the devil. You want to beat the devil? You have to have faith. You have to have it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25, the Bible says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. They were troubled. That doesn't sound like a lot of faith to me. That sounds like fears creeping in. Saying it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Don't have fear. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come, uh, come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walketh on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he's not looking at Christ, is he? He looked at the wind. When he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. He had fear. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Peter, you know why you sank? Because you lost faith. Because you didn't believe. Because you didn't trust. Because you looked at something else. You took your eyes off the Savior. And you put your eyes on all the circumstance. And you sunk, Peter. Ye of little faith. Why'd you doubt? 
And you know, I look at my life and I look at times when I'm failing, when I'm sinking, and I'll tell you what, those are the times where I'm not living the faithful life, where I'm not pulling all, putting all by my belief and my trust into Him. Is it you? Do you find that when you're at your faithful moments, when you're living for God, when, when you're keeping your eyes on Him, that you sink? No. It's when we fear. It's when we're afraid. When we, we quit believing and quit trusting. That's when we get in trouble, isn't it, brethren? I want to stay out of trouble. I want to keep my head above water. And I can do that by keeping my faith in Him, by trusting in Him, by giving myself over and leaning into His will. That's what Peter's problem was. That's what happens when we take our eyes off the Savior, doesn't it? It's no wonder when we miss services, we don't feel the same. We don't feel fed. We feel hungry. We feel weak. We feel vulnerable. Should be no surprise to us. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be ye removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall seek, what ye ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. You know what, if you, if you want eternal life, you know, it's going to take faith to do that. If you're going to build a godly home, it's going to take faith to do that. And fear can take away your eternal home and fear can tear up and tear out your home here on this earth while you have time. It's simple. You know, the last thing he said here, and all things, that's not meaning just every every desire of your heart, everything you ask of God, but all things that you need, all things that you truly need, when you cry out for help to the Lord, all things that you need, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. You know, we wonder sometimes our prayer life. We pray, and sometimes it seems like our prayers don't get answered. It seems like we're struggling, we're just trying to tread water, we're sinking, and we need some help. I'm going to tell you what, when God asks for us to pray to him, he wants us to come with faith, and he wants to come with us believing. I'm going to tell you what, brethren, I believe that if you go to prayer, and you've got doubt in your heart, if I come to the throne of God, and in the back of my mind, I'm doing these things, but I'm not really sure he's going to come through. I'm not really sure he's going to answer the prayer. I don't believe that's a prayer worth praying. How do you think God feels when we come to him, asking him for things, doubting him? I can't see that God would be pleased with that kind of an attitude, with that kind of a faith. But instead... And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing. When I come to God in prayer, and I come to him in faith, and I take my problems and I lay them down before the Father, and I give them over to him saying, Father, this is the problem. I'm asking you for the answers, and I believe, I really believe that you can answer this prayer. God answers prayers like that. But don't you dare come to the throne of glory with fear and doubt in your heart. It's never worked in the past. It won't work now. When you come to the throne of God, you pray, knowing that he's going to hear that prayer and that he's going to answer that prayer. Not always how we think, because we're fallible. But God's going to answer that prayer, if it's prayer and faith. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Now this is really where we get to the meat of the lesson tonight. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, where does fear come from? It's not coming from his side. It comes from the other. 
The devil has introduced the spirit of fear. It does not come from God. If you're struggling with fear in your life, it did not come from the heavenly father. It came from the evil side. It came from the devil. But I'm going to tell you what God has done. Although that he did not give us a spirit of fear, he has given us other tools to overcome fear. He's given us the power of love. He's given us power and love of a sound, and, uh, of love and of a sound mind. These three things. Let's talk about the fear that the devil uses. The devil likes to use the fear of poverty. If I can, if the devil can get me worried about being uh, in poverty, being impoverished, being poor, being without, you know what a man will do? He'll spend all his time, we talked about these things last night, he'll spend all his time, energy, and effort to stay out of poverty and, and, and grasp towards worldly things. If he can make you afraid of being poor, you'll fight every day of your life and every breath of your, of your existence trying not to be poor, trying to have the stuff in this, in this life, the riches in this life. It's one of his most powerful ones, the fear of criticism. You know, if he can get you to fear criticism, that people would say things about you, that people would criticize you, he might get you to quit preaching Jesus. He might shut the message and the word down that you're, uh, you've been given to go out and proclaim. He wants you to be afraid of criticism. He wants you to be afraid of ill health. And we've seen this all year long in the last 12 months. He wants you to be afraid. He wants people to be afraid that when they come in with their brethren that they're going to get sick. For some reason in the last 12 months, church has been like the only place that you can get sick with COVID. You can go to concerts, you can walk through Walmart, but you can't go to church. Y'all saw that here. Y'all saw the regulations. We saw the regulations. But he wants you to be afraid of health. He wants you to be afraid of the loss of love, that people won't love you as much anymore. Now, I, I, don't, want, I don't want anybody to stop. I don't want my wife to stop loving me. I don't want my kids to stop loving me. I don't want... The, these brethren here that I love, I don't want you all to stop loving me. And he puts tricks and traps in our way that, that we quit doing those things so we won't cause a riff, that we won't lose that love. He puts a fear of old age in people. What's wrong with getting old? I know you talk to old folks, it's not for the, the weak of heart. You know, my little grandparents, you know, well, what are y'all doing this week? Well, let me show you the calendar. We've got this doctor's appointment and this doctor's appointment and on and on. Hey, and I get it. I'll tell you what, there's wisdom that comes with old age too, doesn't there? There's lessons that come with old age. And finally, he uses the fear of death. He wants people to be afraid of, of the fleshly tabernacle failing and dying. I think the first one and the last one are the ones that he uses most often. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet your body, what you shall put on. Is it not the, uh, the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much, more, uh, much better than they? So he starts with a question here, you know, take no thought for, for food and raiment, for, for food and for clothes. And he starts out with these birds. Consider the birds, how they don't go, they don't, they don't plant a crop. They don't go and harvest a crop. They don't go and put it in barns, put it in the dry, but yet they have. Do you think God just has this special place in his heart for birds, that he would do this for birds? Absolutely not. He loves you and I far above the birds. He didn't send his only begotten son to die for birds. We have a special place in his heart. He continues on. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take you thought for raiment, for clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toll not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which... Today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe ye? O ye of little faith. Consider these beautiful flowers. You know, Robin Parkhurst, Jennifer's sister, 
man, she just goes all out with flowers. I mean, it's ridiculous. Nobody should spend that much time on flowers. Don't tell her I said that. But she has beautiful flowers. And oh, man, they just, they come in springtime, they stay all summer and come into fall. Man, they're beautiful. And God made them beautiful. And if God can, can clothe those beautiful flowers with those beautiful petals of color, you don't think he's going to clothe you? Do you think he has some special spot in his heart for flowers? No. He didn't send his only begotten son to die for flowers. He did for you. Don't you know that he's going to feed you? Don't you know that he's going to clothe you? And if we don't believe that, oh, ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Did you know that? Did you know that your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things? Don't you know that he knows that you have need of food? Don't you know that, that he knows that you have need of clothes? Don't you know that? You better believe it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall, morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the raiment. Here's what you need to worry about. You need to worry about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're going to spend your time worrying about something, don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the clothing. You worry about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, what does the Bible say in faith? That all these things will be added to you. Saul, uh, uh, David in Psalm 37, 25, he says, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I was a young man and now I'm an old man, and yet I have never seen the righteous beg for bread. I'm going to take it from the mouth of David tonight that the righteous, if they seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the things that of this world that we need will be added into us if I believe that in faith. Or what if I don't? What if I spend my time worrying about those things? Worrying about the poverty, worrying about my food, worrying about the clothes that we wear. I'm not taking my time to seek first the kingdom of God, am I? I'm not worried about those things that are eternal, but instead I'm worried about things that are going to pass away. So where do we spend our time thinking? Where do we spend our time medicate, meditating? Worried on this stuff or worried about things above? He worries, he, 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 he puts in front, in front of us the trap of the fear of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength is, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The grave has no power anymore. Satan don't have that power anymore. My body can die, but my spirit lives on. And, and the devil, he, he can't take that away from me. He can't, when you're God's, no man can pluck you out of the hand of the Father. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, therefore we are always confident, we know this with a surety, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Let's see this clearly. The devil wants you to be afraid of death. He wants you to worry about prolonging your life here on this earth. But when we put it spiritual glasses on, we see that while we're home in the body, while I'm here in the flesh, while I'm standing before you with breath in my body, I am absent from the place I'm trying to go. I'm not home. I'm not where I want to be. I don't want to live a thousand years on this earth. The way I eat, I probably won't make it to 60. So, hey, I might get home sooner than most, Sean. I don't know. So while we're at home in the body, we're absent the Lord. Why? For we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Because through faith, I know that this body, this, this earthly place, this earthly tabernacle is not where I want to be. 
Because every day I have to spend in this flesh is another day that I spend out of glory. Another day that I spend in the mortal is another day that I don't get to spend in immortality. He goes on, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present for the, from the Lord. You know, faithful people, people that, that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and want to serve him and that are trying to live by faith, that's an attitude that they have. But I want to tell you, folks that are caught up in this world that want to stay here as long as they can, and I guess everybody wants to stay a day longer, you know, why would any, who in the world wants to live to be 100? The person that's 99, he wants to live to be 100. But it's just prolonging that gift. It's prolonging the home. It's prolonging the reward. I can't get caught up in, in this life. I can't get caught up in living in this flesh. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure at hand. Paul puts perspective in it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I have kept the faith. He did not say, I have lived in fear, and now the end is near. I have kept the faith. I have believed and I have trusted on my Lord and I'm almost home. And everything Paul had to go through, all the persecutions, all the issues that he had to deal with, man, that guy, he was so happy when he left the flesh and he got to go. I'm sure of it. Although it burdened him that he wanted to stay with brethren, he... Uh, uh, he wanted to preach the gospel. Man, he got out of it. He got to put on immortality. So the three tonight, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Let's review power. And that power that I think about that he has given you and I is the power of change and of choice. You know, that power of change that he has given you and I is really unique because it's a power that even God Almighty doesn't possess. He doesn't change. He doesn't go from one to another. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But he's given you this power to change and to choose. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. Kind of sounds like the things that we talked about earlier. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest uh, live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land, whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go and possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I've set before you these two diametrically polar opposite things. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. You have a choice to make. Choose life. You don't have to waller. You don't have to settle. You get to choose. He told his people, this is the way it's going to go. You've got this opportunity or this opportunity. You get to choose which way you go. And you know what? If you're sitting here tonight and you're not in the place that you want to be, I want to tell you good news tonight that God's given you the choice that you can change where you're at and change who you are. You don't have to stay in the pig pen. You don't have to stay in sin. You can change. And we urge you as a congregation to choose life. God has set a choice before you of life and death, of blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose eternal life. That both thou and thy seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God. That thou mayest obey his voice. That thou mayest cleave unto him. You see, faith. For he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. I'm going to tell you what, brethren. 
You've got a choice. You can choose to be faithful. You can choose to trust him. You can choose to believe on him. Or you can choose the option over here. You can choose to be afraid. And you can choose to live in fear. And you can choose to be held back from this cloud that hangs over you of this fear that comes from the devil. You know, the devil, he wants you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to choose God. He wants you to live in fear. And I'll tell you, it's easy to be caught. It caught me off guard last year, some things that happened. That man, I tell you what, I had to snap out of it. Man, I got kind of, you know, you sit there and you listen to the news. And, and, and even Fox News was bad news last year. And you just sit there and your mind just turns to goo. And you're afraid of everything. At the end of an hour of watching Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity. I'll tell you what, every bit of propaganda in this world comes from the devil. And if it looks like it comes from one side or the other, I'm going to tell you what, they all, propaganda all, comes from the devil. Because it's a bunch of lies and half-truths. I can't listen to Fox News or, or CNN or, or whatever. That's not where truth comes from. And don't you be fooled. That's not Fox News is not where truth comes from. CNN is not where truth comes from. Truth comes from the Lord. Don't believe all the hype. You've got a choice, brethren. He's given us the spirit of love. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made in perfect love. Now what did we say earlier tonight? That God is love, right? And that we have love in this world because it comes from the Father. There's no fear in God. I don't have to be afraid of my Heavenly Father. Now the Bible does tell us to fear God, to keep His commandments. But that kind of fear is a reverence kind of fear, right? It's an honor kind of fear. I fear God. I want to I keep Him where He is and lift Him up as being holy. But I'm not afraid of my heavenly father. If I was afraid of him, you know, what, what do we do when we're afraid of something? We shun it and we hide from it and we stay away from it. I'm not afraid of my heavenly father. I want to talk to him. I want him to be involved in my life. I want to listen to what he has to say through his word. There's no fear in love. But there's no fear in God. But perfect love, God, casts us out fear. God and his word and his divine will has the ability to take us a bunch of sheeple. That's a popular word that popped up this last year. I think it's appropriate. Sheeple. And take a bunch of scared people and make them a confident bunch of people. To, to make them an assured bunch of people. To not have to worry about all this other junk going on. But God, he stays the same. Because fear hath torment. When you think of torment, you think of hell. Fear hath torment. You see how those, that, that other side that's not God, you see how all those things are working. Fear hath torment. There's torment and fear. That's what the devil likes. That's where the devil lives. He wants you in fear. He wants you in torment. He wants you in torment on this earth, on this earth and he wants you in torment in the day to come. That's the devil's game. He says, but he that feareth is not made in perfect love. Brethren, if we're faithful, we're in perfect love. If we're fearful, if we're afraid, if we're an untrusting people in the Lord, if we're an unbelieving people in the Lord, then that love is not inside of us. And we don't abide in that love. But I'm going to tell you tonight, God's given you the spirit and he's given you the capacity to love, to love one another, to love him, because God is love. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. A dissimulation means concealment of one's thoughts, feelings, or character. Let this love be without dissimulation. Now, I don't know all you brethren and very, very well, and, and not all you know me. But I'll tell you what, if we spent some time together, 
and we let that relationship grow, and it would because that's what happens between brothers and sisters in Christ, or that's what ought to happen. That love ought to grow. You know what? There's not going to be any concealment of what you think and what I think. You know, brothers and sisters that love each other, they're very open and they communicate with each other. That's what we've been called to do, right? Confess your faults one to another. I don't, I don't have to worry about that, that, that Monty has something on his mind that he's trying to hide from me or that he's trying to hurt me behind my back because Monty and I have an open relationship. We have open communication. I don't know, have to wonder where he, what he feels, what he thinks. I don't have to worry about character. I don't try to hide my character from Monty. Monty doesn't try to hide his character from me because we have this open, loving relationship. You see? You know, when, when marriages, they have problems, they have dissimulation. They have a concealment of thought. They have a concealment of feelings. And they have a concealment of character. Because they don't communicate. Because one party or both are trying to hide something from the other. And you see marriages that have those secrets, they fall apart. Because love has dissimulation. But this love that you and I have, it doesn't have that. The love that we have for each other as brethren, we don't hide things from each other. I don't want secrets with my brethren. I don't want secrets from my God. I want to have an open and honest relationship with my father. Although he can see those things, I'm naked before him. I want to have a type of relationship that when I do something wrong, he already knows it and I fess up to it. And I tell him what I think. And I pray to him and I come to him in, in faith, believing and trusting that he can help, and that he will answer. Ignorant breeds fear. When you and I, we have that dissimulation between us, that unknowing, it causes fear. Ignorance breeds fear, fear breeds hate, and eventually hate will breed destruction. When you and I keep secrets and we play these little games between each other, you and I will be ripped apart and we'll no longer be beloved brethren. He says he's given us a spirit of sound mind. It's a spirit of self-control. And he's given us a spirit of discernment that we understand. You know, back in our country, and, and maybe at one time here, there were a lot of churches up in the mountains, and, and they weren't necessarily churches of Christ, uh, but they handled snakes, poisonous snakes. And that was a common thing in certain parts of the, of the country back, back home. And, and they would take the context, or they'd take the scripture out of context that you could handle poisonous snakes, and if they bite you, they will die. And... We don't have as many of those churches anymore because they did bite and they did die. You know, this COVID that we've had, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that when the, the CDC came out, you know, we're going to have some stipulations and some guidelines for you. One of those things is wash your hands. Brethren, if washing your hands was a revelation, then I'd like to know because I probably need to wash my hands after I shake yours. Wash your hands. Stay away from each other. I got tickled at one time. They said, cough into your elbow. And then they said, don't shake hands, but rub elbows. <laughs> you know, we don't have to have this faith. Now, now I kind of make fun of the snake handlers. But, you know, it would be the same if last year we went around licking doorknobs. Oh, I'm going to have the faith that I, I I'm going to have a doorknob licking faith that I can lick a doorknob and not die. You know what? God has given us this spirit of a mind that he put inside of us that we can discern what we should do and what we should not do. God gave us enough sense that we could get out of the rain. He gave us uh, uh, enough about ourselves that we can have self-control, that we can stop ourselves from, from doing those things that we ought not do that are not good for us, that are unholy he's given us a self-control that we can stop from doing things that are unholy the bible says in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 there hath no temptation taken you but such is common to man there's nothing new but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able 
but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may able to be able to bear it. Listen, brethren, let me give you some good news. That God's given you the power of discernment, the power to think and get yourself out of the situation, giving you the power to step over the landmine that the devil puts in front of you. He's given you enough good sense that you can get out of that stuff and that the devil doesn't have a trick that you can't bear. Hallelujah tonight. That the devil doesn't have a trick that my God can't help me overcome. God's given you that power, brethren. Use it. God's given you the power of a sound mind. Use it. Animals give in to their lusts. Animals, you know, my dog, that dog, that's the laziest animal that God ever put on this earth. And she lays around all day and she sits in my chair when I'm not there and in my chair when I'm there as well. And man, she's just waiting on that next meal. And man, if you put out too much food, she'll eat till she gets sick. She's just a dumb animal. She don't know when to stop. You know, God has put a sense in you and I as his beloved creation, the creation that was made in his image, that sometimes we can stop. That we don't have to keep hurting ourselves. That we don't have to step on the landmine. God's given you that sense. Matthew chapter 25, verse 22, He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord uh, said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over many, over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid. fear. He said, I was afraid and went and hid thy town in the earth. Lo, there, hast, uh, there, there thou hast, that is thine. He gives the talent back to his master. Now we know this is the, the parable of the talents. I'm going to tell you, I just used the, the second one and the third one here, but let me see, let me show you the two differences. You have the faithful servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, the one that trusts us. The one that believes. That one that God has given the power of, uh, has given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And that guy, he, he took what the master gave him and he went out and he made hay out of it. Now he was the faithful servant. What's the other guy? He's the fearful servant. He was the guy that was afraid. This is the guy that had the spirit of fear. Where does the spirit of fear come from? God has not given us a spirit of fear. He listened to the devil. He listened to the evil. He listened to the doubt. And he had this able mind. The master would not have given him the talent unless the master knew that he had able mind to do what the master intended. And he gave him that talent and he wasted it. He wasted it. What happened to the fearful servant? Was he welcomed in? No, he was cast out. What happens to God's faithful servants? Well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in. What happens with God's fearful servants? They're going to be cast out. They're going to be cast out. When I look at my life, when you look at your life, do we see ourselves as the faithful servant that's been given what God's given us, the talent God's given us, and that we've got a sound mind and we put that to use? Are we the fearful servant that we take that talent that God gave and he knew you had the ability, he knew that you had the gifts, and did we hide it? Did we waste it? That's the real question. Did we waste it? Faith is like gasoline on a fire. And fears like water on it. These things are diametrically opposed. They couldn't be any further from one another. So tonight I ask you, let faith win.
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may, say, may, that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Are we that tonight? Are we the type of Christian that says the Lord is my helper? That he's going to provide for me the needs? He's going to provide for me the food? He's going to provide for me the clothing? If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to me? Are we that kind of faithful servant tonight? Are we going to give in to the fear what other men shall do to us? Isaiah 41.10 Fear thou not, do not fear, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee at thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God says, don't be afraid. If you're afraid, you're giving in to the devil. Don't be afraid. Psalm chapter 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord. And he delivered me. From all my fears. You know the one thing. That I learned last year. That I hope I never forget. Was when everything changed. When, when going to work was made different. When going shopping was made different. Being told how I could go to worship was being made different. Finding toilet paper, quality toilet paper was different. Everything in the world seemed to change in the last year. But above all, God remained exactly the same. God never changed. And when you couldn't put confidence on anything else in the world... You could put the same confidence in God at all times. And when you look back on the year, what else do we have but the Lord? When everything is taken away, when everything is changed, what else do you have but the Lord? He was the only one that we could count on last year. And not to say that he's not always been the only one we can count on. But I'll tell you, I'll... I'll Confess in my heart, last year that was a dear lesson to learn. That when everything changes, he stays the same and he stays solid and firm. And I tell you what, this battle of faith and fear, it's important. You know, that battle of faith, it's going to save our soul. If we trust and if we believe and we lean on him, salvation comes. And if we fear that fear stifles our growth and it stops us. And, and, and fear has no place in the kingdom. God has never once told us to be afraid, to be fearful. And when all this other junk happens, brethren, just live by faith. Don't get rocked by all this other stuff. Don't be afraid. Don't give in. I'll tell you what, I'm excited. Hold on to your faith while you're here. And one of these days, brethren, I'm telling you what, I'm excited. Because one of these days, that faith that got us there, that faith is going to be gone. And our faith is going to become sight. And I'm excited about the prospects of that day. When I'm absent from the body, but I'm present from the Lord. When I take off mortality and I put on immortality. You know, I've thought about the, the day that's going to come and, and how it's going to come and, and I just think about my Jesus and I just want to see my Jesus. I just want to see him. And I don't know what it's going to be like that day when I finally get to see my Lord and, and, I, and I play that scenario in my mind, the Jesus that saved me from all this destruction that was going on, the Jesus that died for me. I just can imagine that I would just run to Jesus and I would, I would jump up in his arms like a child jumps into a father's arms and I would embrace him and he would embrace me. Man, I long for that day. And I don't know, maybe I won't be able to jump into the arms of the Lord, but maybe I'll just be like one of those who just gets to touch the hem of his garment. 
Maybe I just get to touch him a little bit. The Savior that died for me. Maybe that's the way it's going to be. Maybe I don't get to press in with the crowd. Maybe I have to stand afar off and see Jesus. But when that faith falls off and it becomes sight and I see the Lord, glory will be that day when I enter into the kingdom and you enter into the kingdom. And it's only for the faithful. It's only for the ones that stuck with him. It's the only one that believed with all their heart, that trusted in him. Even when trouble came, they continued to trust and they were steadfast in their faith. Brethren, let's be that people. Let's be that faithful people. Are you ready for that day? You ready to see Jesus? Why? Oh, after all this trouble, after seeing people hurt, people seeing uh, pe- people just devastated. Boy, I'm ready for that day, aren't you? It can't come soon enough. But that day's coming soon enough. And I don't know when it's going to be, and you don't know when it's going to be. But you don't have to be old to die. You just have to be ready. Let's get ready tonight. Let's get ready to live that faithful life. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.